Hi, I'm Michelle Aronson, and welcome to True Stories at Work, where we discuss the best things about working in human resources. The people, the stories, and the things that happen at work that we didn't even know about. Workplace confessions. I'm a recovering HR executive, certified coach, and business school professor who knows that the best stories happen at work. From heartwarming to heartbreaking, from hilarious to outrageous. Now I help companies build better workforces by aligning mission, values, and actions with business strategy. On today's show, you will meet Aileen, who graduated with aspirations of becoming a Russian-speaking foreign policy expert. She accidentally entered HR after hating her first real job as a technology data analyst. She started her career in executive search, which she describes as an amazing training ground. You're basically thrown to the wolves. Aileen has taken big career risks herself, even fulfilling her calling to become a Chicago public school teacher. Wait until you hear what she saw happening behind her back in her classroom. I could review my own video. So that night I brought it home and reviewed it and saw it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to get an F on this video. Aileen shares true stories of how following your passion and energy will help you find the job you love. Don't be afraid to follow your passions. Don't think that it's just a nice to have or it's, it's a dream job. It'll never come true. It is possible. You just have to be thoughtful. At the end, you'll hear a workplace confession from me. It was, by definition, an act of utter insubordination, which was, for good and not evil, and guess what? No one even noticed. So let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to have you as my guest. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Glad to be here. So you're a newer colleague, and I'm excited to learn more about about you. Can you tell me about your background sure. working in HR? Would love to. Yes. Um, well, I kind of entered HR accidentally. So my undergraduate major was political science and Russian language. I had like a dual major. And so I wanted to be like a foreign policy expert. And when I graduated, I graduated without a job. And I moved to Chicago, and I stayed with my parents, who lived in Chicago at the time, and I wound up getting a job at which is a phenomenal Chicago-based company, but I did technology data analysis, <laughs> which is so foreign to who I am as a person, and I just didn't really like it. It drained me. I was doing quality assurance work for a software product and just missing bugs left and right. But during that time, I decided to do some recruiting events because I did love the culture there and wanted to be able to share that with potential candidates. And that's what got me interested in recruiting and talent acquisition. And I got to do a lot of things across HR, but I would say my depth of experience was in talent acquisition and leadership coaching. And so that is what really drove my energy, both of those things, because I got to meet and, and work with people, 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 like all the time. I'm curious, 
Russian language? Yeah. I went to Notre Dame undergrad. They told me that I had to choose a language to take as part of my Bachelor of Arts degree. And I saw Chinese and Russian, and I thought, well, let me just choose something a little unique. So it was between those two. I chose the Russian, and I just really enjoyed learning it. It was very difficult for me, but I knew that I wanted to study foreign policy and that it would be a good sort of dual major. So I I kind of muscled my way through my Russian. You know, it was always my lowest grade, but I finished it. And then when I graduated, probably one of the highlights of my entire career life was I got to translate at the Olympics in 1996 in Atlanta. I worked at a youth camp for young athletes and also students that were flown in from all around the world to see the Olympics. And I was sort of like the Russian counselor. So I was able to translate and it was just, it made my whole Russian background worth it, the experience alone. Can you say anything in Russian? So, yeah, which means I used to speak Russian, a little bit of Russian. <laughs> so I still say that sometimes in caps. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God, the Olympics. What yeah. a cool honor. Well, I also think like Russian could be helpful right now because who knew after the last 20 years that they would be so yeah. in the daily news as they are as they are today. Yeah. Yeah. So... I would love to go back even further than your Russian and talk about when you were a child. What did you want to be then when you grew up? Yeah, I loved entertainment. So I was a big, you know, I loved watching movies. I still remember I had a diary when I was like 10 years old that I kept my own star ratings on the movies that I saw. And this is in the 80s. Okay, so there were a lot of good movies in the 80s. But I think when I was asked when I was 10 what I wanted to be, I said a singer because I was just so into music and Michael Jackson, the thriller. I mean, everybody knows where they were when the first thriller video came out, and I can still see it where I was. So I wanted to be somehow in that world of entertainment, and I think it was because of my fascination with people, reading about people, watching movies about people. So singer, so do you sing? Or it, I sing to myself in the car. Okay. I am a halfway decent karaoke singer, but now no, I don't I don't sing. What was your go-to song? Well, with with my friend and I, we used to sing Somebody's Watching Me by Michael Jackson and Rockwell. So that was that was our go-to. Your first job was really in executive search. Tell me a little bit about what that world is like. Well, it's interesting because a lot of people begin their HR career through executive search firms. And it is it is an amazing training ground. You're basically thrown to the wolves. I thought I knew what recruiting was, but this was in the late 90s. And I remember the office managing partner was Looney Tunes. We used to call him Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because one moment he'd be sitting next to you trying to like mentor you and coach you and saying how good you were. And then the next moment he would come back from the bathroom like screaming that we were awful and we had to do better work. This was 1998. I remember like calling people out of a phone book, you know, just trying to recruit anyone I could for like a pipeline of candidates. And it was just horrible work. But it gave me a good sense for like discipline and, and it was very much a, a sales type role. 
But I got enough experience there. I was there for about a year that I could put HR on my resume in order to get another HR role. So then I had two dot-coms that I worked for in the very late 1990s. One is a technical recruiter, and I worked there for about a year before that went under. And then the second one, I was a resource manager, like a deployment manager. It was a very small consulting firm that went under. And then I built up enough HR street cred in order to get the job. Um, where I then spent the next, you know, almost 20 years. Were there any great stories from that search firm or startup? I worked for a B2B startup. There were two brothers that were founders. They had gotten a lot of venture capital money early on, and they wanted to just skyrocket their hiring. So they hired me as a technical recruiter, and I was just churning and burning, like hiring tens and twenties of different new hires to the company because of they'd gotten this round of funding and they just wanted to I think that things turned around really quickly like we brought in like a hundred people you know in the span of maybe six months and then all of a sudden we started to hear word that they were running out of money and you know that the founders were arguing with the CIO and and this was so early in my career so I didn't understand the tumultuous culture of a typical startup. So I didn't really think much of it, but ultimately then I was told, oh, by the way, you have to lay off, you know, these 20 people. And then, oh, by the way, now you have to lay off these 10 people. So that's where I got my first experience sitting across the table from somebody and letting them go. And I was maybe 25, maybe. So It was a great experience for me to get, but it was also really hard and uncomfortable. So then ultimately, I was also laid off at the end. They let you do it all, and then they do the (laughs) one person that had to do all the the dirty work. When you're talking about the hiring, the doubling, I feel like that's such a cycle still today. Like I'm having flashbacks for working with startups where I'm looking for a tech recruiter. We're ramping up. And then all of a sudden, things are shifting. It it feels like a little bit of a replay. It's very cyclical. Right? Extremely cyclical. It just happened during COVID with the big tech companies that hired like crazy and also hired at very inflated salaries. And then all of a sudden, in the past year, these companies had to let so many people go. Yeah. So it is very cyclical. Yeah. Speaking of COVID, what have you noticed in terms of recruiting or job market shifts since COVID? So during COVID, what that did from a recruiting perspective is it opened the aperture of talent. If you're a New York-based company, instead of only being limited to New York-based candidates, you now could look for candidates from all over the country. So I think it's benefited not only organizations that are looking for talent, but it's also benefited the candidate because If they're living in New York and they're wanting a remote job, they can look for jobs really anywhere. And so now when I coach job seekers, one of the first things I do is ask some clarifying questions over like, what are you looking for? You know, what are your non-negotiables? The top two non-negotiables across the board are autonomy and flexibility. Where does that fit in in a person's journey? 
How do you advise them? Yeah. So I work with individuals who are in transition, whether they're gainfully employed and just making a change, whether they're actually in between jobs and need a job. And I provide them with a 90-day program to get an offer within that 90-day time period. One of the first things I do with my clients is called the clarity session because even 25-plus year executives, I would say many of them come to me and they're like, I know I need a change, but I don't know what I want to do. So we do this clarity session and hone in on like one or two paths for them to explore further to really elevate their search. After a lot of digging and reflection, they're saying to me, I might want to try my hand at my own thing, my own consulting firm, my own company. And so we add that to their list to explore. And sometimes that's the that's the path they ultimately go down. And it's that's what's really rewarding for me when I see somebody taking that leap into something that seems a little bit more scary. Do you have an example of somebody who came in and really kind of 360'd or even 180'd? Yes, I can think of a few. One of them in particular, I worked with this year, and she was in restaurant strategy and operations. She had a culinary background. But she had been in the corporate world working for restaurants in strategy and operations for years. And she just didn't love it. There was something missing. When we first started working together, she thought she wanted to go through the same path, but just a different restaurant. But over time, she said, I have this really cool Instagram page. I love taking videos of me making recipes. I have some ideas. And I thought, well, let's explore those a little bit further. At the end of our time together, she launched her own culinary consulting firm whereby she would run events for small groups or even for corporate events to teach people how to eat and cook healthy recipes. And she loved it. I think she's still pursuing it. But whenever you pursue like a new consulting endeavor, there's fear involved. And there's like, when is this going to level out? Level out? How am I going to pay my mortgage? And this and that. But I actually hired her, funny enough, after I worked with her, I hired her to do an event for my 10-year-old daughter's like girls group. And it was amazing. She came to my house. These are 10-year-old girls. And she did a vegetable tasting with like dips and different things. The girls loved it. And I still remember like at the end of this event, one of the girls was like, who knew vegetables would be so much fun? <laughs> This woman needs to work for our school systems, bring vegetables to children all over the country. Yeah. Oh, my God. I uh -huh. love it. The word when you were talking about, like, fear and change and, and what a big step that is, it makes me think about many of the people I know who are afraid to make a change. They have the skills. They have the knowledge. They have the abilities. What magic do you have that can help somebody get past that? I would say every job seeker has that same fear because they're leaving the security they have if they're employed. You know, if you get thrown into a job search, you still have fear, but it's more out of lack. Like, where's my next paycheck coming from? If you're readily employed, it's like, well, why would I give up something so secure 
So what I do in our first session is I actually talk about the brain, the way that the original brain was wired was to keep them alive day to day. They had to forage for their own food. They had to run from saber-toothed tigers. They had to keep themselves safe by finding shelter every single day to keep themselves alive. We still, to this day, have that wiring as part of our brain that craves security, whether it's from a real threat or a perceived threat. When that happens, our amygdala is activated, which causes the fight or flight response. So job seekers get into that mode all the time because they're not feeling that sense of security. So what happens is that they get very reactive. In other words, they apply to 100 jobs a week and think that they're checking off the box and they're doing something. And it just gets into this really negative sort of loop for them because they're going to ultimately get a lot of rejections when you're applying online. So what I try to do as a coach is get them to first recognize when they're in that narrative. It's usually just negative thought loops. And recognize that's never going to end because that's the way we're wired. But what can we do to refocus on maybe a proactive activity, networking, informational interviews, reaching out to target companies that will help them build that forward momentum. I love that you mentioned networking. Tell me a story of your own networking. People hate to network. So give me an example of how networking has worked for you. Maybe others can absorb that. Well, I actually networked into my job at, which again was a very pivotal moment in my entire career history. When I was leaving the startup just before I had my resume done, this is before I was a certified resume writer, so I'm sure it didn't look very, very nice. But I kind of was just kind of telling people, well, I'm looking for a job. You know, I'm not entirely sure what I want to do, but I want it to be within HR. And I had a friend that I worked with earlier on in my career that said, you know, I have a friend that works as a recruiter at would you want me to float your resume to him? I don't know if there's an open position or not. I was like, absolutely. So she, her name is Kira, sent my resume over to the recruiter at got a call. And then I had been very rusty with my interview skills. And I was a little scared to interview at a place like So I called my former boss from the startup, who was like an expert at communications, And I said, hey, could you prep me for this? Like, is there anything you can teach me or share with me to really elevate my performance? She prepped me, and this is 20 20 years ago now, more, prepped me the exact same way that I prep my career coaching clients now. Like, almost to the T, because I remember exactly what she did to help me nail those interviews. And so I think that's a good example of networking through a friend into a company. And then once I got the interview, asking for help from somebody I knew who would get me over the, over the line and I got the job. I love that story. I love everything about it because that's how you find a job. I have friends who hate their jobs and you know who you are and they look online and I'm like, why are you looking online? Talk to people. Let them know anything. Let them know you're looking. Let them know you're curious. What do they do? Where do they see you Mm -hmm. using your skills? Like there's a million things you can do, but take that. 
two hours that you're wasting your time on LinkedIn and make it talking to friends or people in your peer group. I mean, that's that's my advice. Curiosity is critical to developing stronger relationships when you're networking. People say, okay, so I got this networking call with this person that I kind of know. Now what? You're like, ask them questions. So I like to make a fun analogy between job search and dating. There's so many analogies. And one of them is when you have your first date, let's say, with someone, and then you have your first sort of networking conversation with someone, how do you make sure there's a second date or make sure there's something that comes out of it? Let them talk. Show that you're interested. Show curiosity. Ask them questions. Let them talk. And then they're going to feel good you know, from that interaction that you're more likely to have that second date or have somebody who wants to, to help you. I agree. Also, never sleep with them on the first date. That's my <laughs> other advice. Or, or at work, there's a whole series of podcasts for That's that. But no, and people love to share their stories. People love to help other people. But for whatever reason, there's this belief that you're wasting somebody's time when people, I help many people um, yeah. with job search or whatever. What about your favorite hiring story? Oh, I do have one. Okay, awesome. And I still remember it. So early on in my career, so we're talking maybe 17 years ago. So it's been a while. I was doing recruiting for technology practice in New York City. And this was like one of the star practices, very highly visible for et cetera. But they were like wanting to bring in a lot of people. So I brought in this one guy, I won't say his last name, but his first name was Bud, okay? Bud was very advanced in his career. I loved Bud. Like from the first moment I talked to him, I, I just knew he was a very strong candidate, but I knew that there might be some unconscious bias because of Bud's advanced age. I put him through anyway, in, through the interview day, and I'll never forget the partner who was very like selective, let's say, when it comes to candidates, said, this guy, when I first saw him, like he even admitted, he's like, I thought, what, are we nuts? Like, this doesn't make sense. And then he said, he's the best candidate I've had come through here in I don't know how long. So we wound up hiring, but he is still at to this day. So talk about, I don't know how old he was at the time, but he was advanced in age 17 years ago. He joined and had a very long, prosperous career. And I haven't talked to him in 17 years, but I still remember his name. So when you do recruiting, you impact people's lives in such a powerful way. I started out as a recruiter and I still have the stories that I remember where people come back and say, oh my God, thank you for hiring me. And it was like 10 years later and they still remember you and are grateful, you know, and I also have the people that were like, why didn't you hire me? And, you know, you, you, you're a winner and you're a loser. So you talk about taking career risks and really following your heart, not your fear. Do you have a personal example where you did that? 
Yeah, I have a few actually personal examples of taking risks in my career. Um, some of them ended up being quote unquote failures, but I do not regret any of them. So the first big one I took was three years into my career at, I felt a calling to teach. Um, I had done a little junior achievement volunteering and just loved being in front of a classroom. And so I decided to quit after three years and do this fast track program through Northwestern where they would train you to be a teacher in like two months and then place you in a uh, Chicago public school. So the day I quit, my partner and friend and mentor said to me, well, you know, I give you my blessing, but you'll be back. You'll be back. And I laughed. I was like, okay, okay. And sure enough, I went through the program, got into teaching. One year in, I was like, I'm out. (laughs) I just wasn't equipped for the experience. And then I was in a job search again. And I thought, what the heck am I going to do? Well, one of the first people I called was my mentor at while I was six and a half months pregnant at the time. And he said, hey, let's go to lunch tomorrow. Come to the city. You know, we'll sit down. We'll catch up. And I went to the city. I met him for lunch here with my giant, you know, pregnant belly. And he goes, let me make a few phone calls. Let's see what I can do. The next day, I had an offer to come back as a recruiter. So I love that story because it highlights how progressive he was because this was almost 17 years ago. And he was like, seven months pregnant, come on back, you know, no problem. Got me back in to finish the rest of my career. How did you know teaching wasn't for you? (laughs) I'm way too nice. (laughs) Even still now with my own children, thankfully my husband's the disciplinarian because I'm such a softy. And so these kids, they needed the structure, they needed the discipline, and unfortunately that was not me. So... There was one instance where I was up the board, you know, doing some math problems or something, and it was being videotaped for my program, my teaching program. And I think I still have the videotape. I have to dig it out. My back was to the classroom, and there was a young kid who stood up on the top of his desk and did a backflip off of it. (laughs) And I had no idea. How did you find out? I could review my own video. So that night I brought it home and reviewed it and saw it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I'm going to get an F on this video. (laughs) I'm just super curious. Did they have a big camera so the young gentleman knew he was on camera? And so he was like... He was going to be the star of the he show. He was dancing. He was doing all this stuff. And then he finished up with the back, the backflip. It was funny. It was the, the grand finale. Yes. It was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll let her see my great acrobatic skills. Yep. What is your workplace pet peeve? Oh, yes. Workplace pet peeves are the workplace, what are they called? The the euphemisms or the verbiage that people use, like circle back, the conference terms that become ubiquitous. Um, and at there were a ton of them. So circle back. I think the one that annoyed me the most one time in a meeting was, well, if you peek under the kimono. <laughs> and I was like, can you explain that in English, please? <laughs> peek under the kimono, you'll find... That's my biggest pet peeve. Oh my God, I'd love a list of those. I, I agree. There's so many. Those are Some of those could be cringeworthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that same pet peeve. Um, what about 
an inappropriate interview question that you've either been party to or been asked yourself? Most inappropriate interview questions have to do with like age or, oh, what year did you graduate Notre Dame? Even if somebody's asking those innocently to see, do you have know somebody in common? Um, also, oh, are you married? <laughs> you know, those kinds of questions, believe it or not, get asked. I don't think I've ever heard of somebody asking anything like wildly inappropriate, but some of those are, are pretty bad, the demographic questions. I find it amazing that people will still ask inappropriate questions to people interviewing for HR jobs. I think I had 20 interviews for this company. It was a startup, and it sounded like a, a very interesting job. They wanted to hire me because the word fun was on my resume, and it was a bunch of engineers, tr- and they wanted to make their workplace fun. Zero of them were fun during the interview. So <laughs> it was really going to be a difficult challenge. But at the end of the day, an HR person asked me, this is probably inappropriate, but what do you think about critical race theory? Oh. And I go, <laughs> I don't understand the question. Like, <laughs> right. what do you mean? What do I think? Like, right. I right. don't That's know. Really weird. Isn't that a weird question? Yes. But I was just like, first of all, I think it's a, I think you were right. It is inappropriate. And second of all, what do you want to know about me that will make you not want to hire me? Because I don't even understand Right. What you're what you're really getting at. Like right. do I believe in DEI? Yes. It was just a weird Yeah, that was very odd. Isn't that odd? Yeah. That's my last question for you. Do you have any questions for me? No, I really don't. Okay. Yeah. Any key takeaways that you want people to sort of walk away with? I think maybe two things that have really been on my mind lately as a career coach. The first is so many people that come to me that are wanting to look for a new job have been feeling disgruntled, not challenged for so long before they actually make the decision to leave their job. Now, I'm not promoting that everybody should all of a sudden quit, but you could really be reflective to understand when are you sort of you know, when is the right time to really start looking for something new? So that that's the first thing. The second thing is don't be afraid to follow your passions. Don't think that it's just a nice to have or it's, it's a dream job. It'll never come true. It is possible. You just have to be thoughtful, maybe work with a coach, understand what are the many steps you can take to fulfill that, that passion. And that's a big part of my practice in helping people. I couldn't agree more. I mean, life is short. Start now. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. a lot of people wait for yeah. right. ever and never yeah. get to yeah. share their gifts with the world, mm-hmm. right? Well, thank you for being on my show. Thank I'm you super for having me, Michelle. So excited. It's been fun. Yeah. And um, thanks so much. We've all done something bad at work, but here's your chance to confess. From small wrongs, like borrowing office supplies to simplify your back-to-school shopping, or snacking on a coworker's lunch, to the major workplace sins, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll type. Here is today's Conscious Clearing Confession. This is my own workplace confession. And honestly, the biggest thing that I did wrong 
which I'm still convinced was right in the end. So I took over customer experience and also was responsible for HR. I realized the best way to drive strategy and the metrics that I was responsible for was through culture. And values really create culture, and ours were dusty and dated. Of course, there was an acronym for our values. It was service, which stood for stewardship, excellence, respect, value, integrity, compassion, and equality. And I was planning a very big experiential learning celebration for every employee to celebrate and interact with our values. I knew a couple of things. I knew there were too many, and I knew one of them was sucked straight from the 1800s. And I couldn't get my head around the idea that I was going to teach everybody a vocabulary word and the values and behaviors behind it. And the word was stewardship. This was a healthcare company, and I knew that safety was missing from this list. So I casually reached out to my boss, the CEO, to kind of ask and inform him about my plan to update our values. I usually got a yes from my boss, so I was really shocked when I heard a hard no. I pushed back and he said, absolutely not. It has to go through the board. It isn't something I could touch. And so if you know me, you know I'm undeterred. (laughs) So I went to the vice president of safety who initially gave me that same answer, but followed up with curiosity about what value I wanted to change. This is a healthcare company, and I knew that safety was our primary focus around everything that we did, and it wasn't even reflected in our values. I could sense her surprise and delight when that was the value that I wanted to change it to. So some sort of unspoken signal, like maybe a nod and a wink. I I guess I was a ask for forgiveness, not for permission kind of person, but I ended up printing up 4,000 pieces and planning the event that led with the value of safety. The sad part about this story is that every executive, the HR committee of the board, and nearly a thousand employees and leaders from throughout the organization participated in this values celebration. No one noticed the change. No one mentioned it. No one missed the value of stewardship. It's even a little funnier that we incorporated the new values into our orientation program, asking every single employee who came into the organization to rank these values based on importance and explain why. Every single group that ranked the values ranked safety first. So while I know I was wrong and I would have been happy to take the discipline and consequences I also feel strongly that safety is more important in any workplace than stewardship. So if you don't know what stewardship is, it's the planning and management of resources. Now clear your conscience by submitting your workplace confession at physicsatwork.com slash podcast. Well, that's all for today's episode of True Stories at Work. Thank you to Aileen for joining me. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. If you work in HR and have a story to share, 
please visit my website, physicsatwork.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Haiku for Aileen. Aileen takes her own career advice by choosing work that brings her joy.